First John chapter 3. We will begin reading from chapter 2 and verse 28 all the way to chapter 3 and verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 28, all the way to chapter 3, verse 10. So it's a slightly longer passage of scripture than I usually read, but you understand why. 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence, and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident. Who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Well, that's a fairly lengthy passage, as I already warned you, but we are reading it in the context of our ongoing series of messages on the theme of assurance of salvation. 
We're basically asking the question, how can I know that I am truly a Christian? Clearly, it's not enough to say, because I go to church, therefore I'm a Christian. Because I've been baptized, therefore I'm a Christian. Because at some stage, somewhere in the past, I said a prayer that said, God forgive me, therefore I must be a Christian. According to the Bible, there is much, much more to being a Christian than those simple activities that almost anyone can do. We have said that it is crucial for us to know this. For two reasons. First of all, it is very possible for you to think you are a Christian when you are not, and to discover when you are there before God, already out of this world, that in fact you were deceived. You were not a Christian. And there is no going back. There is no second chance. It is too late. And what a terrible situation it is to be in that way. I've given an example before of a friend who was rushing for a conference in South Africa. And as he was about to cross over in Chirundu into Zimbabwe, he exchanged his uh, Zambian kwacha for what he thought were South African runs. They were not. He crossed Zimbabwe, and as he was about to cross the Limpopo River, he needed to pay some money. And as he produced what he thought were runs, it was too late to do much about it. They told him they were not runs, they were fake. He made a U-turn and came back home. Thankfully, he still had some kwacha left to bring him home. Well, the good thing is he could come back home. But to continue with what you think are heavenly runs, and arrive at the doorsteps of heaven and be told you are in the wrong place, you ought to go into hell, there is no turning back. It is too late. And therefore, it is important for each one of us to know now that I am truly a Christian even when I take my professional faith and put it against the test of Scripture, it passes. But also another reason that I have given over and over again is that your own usefulness in terms of being of benefit to other people in the name of God can only be if it is being done out of gratitude to God because He has saved you and you are rejoicing in that salvation and consequently you are investing into the lives of others. But if you are perpetually in doubt, you don't really know whether you are saved or not, you will find that all your energy is being spent in dealing with those doubts instead of you throwing all your weight into the work of the kingdom. 
So at least for those two reasons, you ought to say to yourself, I need to deal with this matter once and for all. We have noted from First John quite a number of tests thus far. And as at last week, we were, or this last time I preached, which was two weeks ago, we were in the third verse of chapter 3, where we see that those who have a genuine hope in that eternal salvation, that which will be theirs when Jesus returns, there's one way in which you can distinguish them from the others, and it is this. That in that hope, they purify themselves. They are actively engaged in putting to death that which is wrong. And actively involved in working out their salvation positively. So that even here on earth, they are becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in character. They are not indulging in sin and then hoping that dabracadabra, when Jesus returns, bang, they'll just have a change from loving sin to loving righteousness. No, it has already begun. And that's what we have read here. Well, this morning we proceed into the section beginning with verse 4 of chapter 3. And it's important that I introduce what is happening here by use of the context. And then we will spend the rest of this morning looking at the fourth verse. What is John doing as he begins telling us everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness. All the way down to verse 10, when he says, By this it is evident who the children of God, who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. What is he doing? Well, it's easier for you to appreciate this when you go to chapter 2 and verse 29. That's why I began reading from there. Because his point is, if the practice of righteousness only reveals that you are born again. Let's read chapter 2 and verse 29. If you know that he, referring to God, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him born of God. In other words, it's not possible. In our own fallen nature, the way we are born into this world, it is not possible for us to love righteousness, to live for righteousness. It won't work. You can do it on the outside to put up a good front before your parents or religious people or your church leaders. But on the inside, you are living for yourself, living for your own sinful selfishness. But when you discover that you have this bondage broken, 
You discover that your heart loves God and you want to live for Him. Just know, something has happened. And what is that? God has given you birth to you. You've been born again. You've been born from above. That's what has happened. And with that, we have verse 1 down to verse 3, where the Apostle Paul is now, rather Apostle John, is rejoicing in what God has done, if that is true about you. Wow! Look at how God has loved us. That He's made us now into His children. Now we are His children. He has done this work of making us into those who practice righteousness. He's done it. Well, if that is true, what does the practice of sin reveal? What about the opposite? If practicing righteousness shows that you are born again, what about those who are still in the church among God's people But theirs is a life of practicing wickedness, practicing sin. What is true about them? The argument is the exact opposite. If practicing righteousness shows you are born again, practicing sin shows that you are not a Christian. In fact, he uses very strong words, doesn't he? It shows that you are a child of of the devil. There it is. Here is yet another test for us to see where we truly are. In fact, verse 3, strictly speaking, reads something like this, and I'm giving you a transliteration. Everyone doing the thing Also, the lawlessness is doing. Everyone doing the sin. Also, the lawlessness is doing. Because sin is lawlessness. Let's look a little bit more at this categorical statement by John. I mean, clearly, he is not beating about the bush with respect to who we are and where we are. He's taking a knife and he's cutting straight and he's saying, check yourself, on which side of this knife are you? So first of all, we clearly see here that there is such a thing as people who claim to be Christians but who go on living in sin. John here is not dealing with those who are out there, those who never go to church, those who don't care to associate with God's people. He's dealing with people who were going to hear this letter being read right before their ears or right before their eyes. And he's making this categorical statement so that we don't ever allow ourselves to remain in a state where to us the sinners are out there 
Those of us who are here are the righteous one. No. He's addressing those who are obviously there and he's saying, let's be very clear. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, this is true about you. Now, he deliberately uses the phrase everyone because he doesn't want us to find a category where, yes, we may still be practicing sin, but this is not necessarily true of us. And so he's using an all-inclusive phrase to just make us realize that if this practicing of sin is true about me, then invariably these are the consequences. Everyone who practices sin, these are the consequences. This is what is true about you. There's not a single category within that that excludes you. He's not saying everyone except those baptized. Everyone except those who are church members. Everyone except those who are regular at various Christian activities. No, no, no. It is everyone who is in this category. You are there for one who needs to see yourself as being lawless. And I'll come to that in a moment. But what is the description of this everyone? It is those who make a practice of sinning. Now, I'm deliberately wanting to say a few words here because a few older versions, and I think the King James Version is in that category, makes it sound as though he is referring to simply anyone who sins. And I think we need to be clear because John could not be saying that, especially after what he said in chapter 1, verse 7, 8, and 9 where he says that if we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar, and his truth is not in us. So clearly, John could not, in two chapters, have forgotten what he said, and then be saying anyone who sins is a child of the devil. Here he is not so much referring to an act of sin, under some sudden surge of temptation, but he's referring to sin as a way of life. Just as earlier when he said everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, he's not suggesting there that these individuals who are born of God cannot remember the last time they ever sinned. That's not the point. But he's referring here to a way of life. He's referring here to a continuing practice. He's referring here to your character, the kind of individual that you are. In other words, so at the end of the day, you've come away from everybody else. You are alone on your bed at night. The lights are off. 
You're thinking through your day. You're looking at tomorrow and what your plans are there. You can't blame at that stage that there is this urge that has overtaken you because somebody is somehow trying to get you to do something which is wrong. No, even your TV has been switched off. What is happening in your soul at that point? Are you looking back into the day and looking at where you did wrong against God and you are saying, God, I'm sorry. Where you failed to do that which is right, you are saying, God, how could I not have taken that chance or opportunity in order to serve you, in order to do good to others, forgive me, Lord, and so on. That's the way you are thinking. And as you go into the thinking about the following day, you're saying, Lord, when I get into this situation, when I get into the office, when I'm with my friend, Lord, help me to say the right things, to do the right things, to sing the right thoughts, to be a blessing, so that you might be glorified. Is that you? You are alone. Is that your soul? Are you, as it were, practicing righteousness? It's just your heart. It's, it's oozing out that kind of life. Or are you sitting there on your bed alone and it's all about you and you're chasing after your own name. You're chasing after your own pleasure. And all you are saying there is, wow, I miss that golden opportunity. Wow. I'm glad I indulged myself there. Yeah, I need to do the same tomorrow. I need to do more tomorrow. I need to, to have this and, and to achieve this and, and to make use of that one in order to indulge myself. And, and it's me and me and me tomorrow. As the center of the universe. What is the practice? What is your soul like when you are alone on your bed at night? The lights have been switched off and you are thinking through. And you are rising in the morning and you've got your agenda before you. What is that? It's all happening inside you. What is it? Are you practicing righteousness or are you practicing sinning? Now what John is arguing here is something we need to come to terms with and it is this. We need to come to terms with the fact that those who live in sin live in lawlessness. In other words, they live in rebellion against God. Let's go back to our text. Jonah says here that everyone who practices, who makes a practice of sinning, also practices lawlessness. How best can I try and describe it? 
perhaps the best way to try and describe it, which shouldn't be very difficult for us to understand, is what happens when citizens want to insult or get rid of a ruler. You notice that at that time, they are so negative about the ruler that they just want to do whatever they want to do. They don't think in terms of how does he want me to, to live based on the laws that he has instituted. That's the furthest thought from their minds. So, they come across dustbins. They want to empty them wherever they can empty them. So they get them and they just empty them everywhere. They find old tires, quickly get them, set them on fire and throw these burning tires across the road. Whatever it is they want to do, they just do it. They are daring him. They want to do whatever it is and mayhem invariably becomes the order of the day. If they can see cars coming and they just want to, to, to block the road, immediately they will just start finding big rocks and throwing them on the road and so on. And they see the police coming and off they go running, laughing. They have absolutely no respect, absolutely no desire to please him who is the king. It is what do we want to do? Let's just do it. Well, that's what sin is like. Sin is when we as men and women do what we want to do. Forget the Ten Commandments. Forget the law of God. Forget the fact that the one who made me wants me to live an upright, holy, and righteous life. Forget it. I am a little God. What do I want to do tomorrow? I'm going to do tomorrow. What do I want to do next week? I'm going to do next week. I want what I want to do and there is no law whatsoever that's going to come in my way. And to me, it's a very important test. Because it clearly begins to show whether I'm truly a Christian or I am not. What is it that I want to see happen? What is it? Is it that which my Creator and my Savior, my coming judge, wants me to do? Or is it what I want to do? That gives you the answer right there, whether you're a Christian or not. It is, what is it that makes me do what I want to do? In a home, when your parents 
leave you in charge of their home? What happens there? If you really respect your parents and your friends say, Moana, let's do this, you immediately go, "Mm -mm. this is dad's home. This is mom's home. That's not the kind of thing they want to happen in their home. Forget it. No, but they are not here. Yeah, that's beside the point. I'm a steward of the home. I must function as though it is their home. Period. But I'll tell you, when you've got no respect for them, you become the law. As soon as you peep, and the gate gets closed, and they are going for the week, everything changes. Whatever it was that you've been planning to do, you just begin to engage it. You are the law. And that's what lawlessness is all about. It's not that I am a steward of God. He's made me in His image. I am to live the way in which He wants me to live. Rather, it's all about me, myself, and I. Let me ask you, what determines your personal lifestyle? What is it? How you spend your time? What determines it? How you spend your money? What determines it? How you use the abilities that God has given you. Mental abilities. The gifts that He has given you. What determines that? Is it with an eye to God smiling back at you that He sets the agenda and you want to do His will? Or are you a law unto yourself? What you want to do? Because as He's putting it here, that's a very good test. Everyone who makes the practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And he ends with a very categorical statement that it is the very nature of sin that it is a deliberate and willful deviation from God's righteous laws. It's a deliberate and willful deviation. And hence, John says, categorically there, in very clear terms, sin is lawlessness. Now, by that, it doesn't mean that there is no law, lawless, but rather what it means is that you deliberately go forward as if there is no law. When the people that are up against Government are turning dustbins upside down and and burning tires and throwing them onto the road and putting rocks there. It's not because there is no law. The law is there. But it's because their hearts are in rebellion against the lawgiver. And consequently, they are doing everything possible 
that they want to do and obviously sending the message I don't care who you are. We're going to do what we want to do. Now with respect to us as human beings it's because we are enslaved to sin. That's the reason why. In uh, John and chapter 8 not First John but the Gospel of John Jesus makes a statement that sounds almost like what John has said here. John 8 and verse 34. John 8 and verse 34. It says there, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I said to you, everyone who practices sin, which is again the same phrase we've seen there, is a slave to sin. Is a slave to sin. Jesus is very clear there. But I need to explain what he is saying this way. That you see, spiritual enslavement is not like physical enslavement. Physical enslavement is from the outside in. In other words, somebody ties my leg onto a pole, and even if I want to go away, I can't go away because I am enslaved. I'm chained to something. So I want to do something I can't because I'm enslaved. Spiritual enslavement is from the inside out. In other words, the person himself does not realize that I'm actually enslaved because it's him who is the sinner. It's him who is enslaved from the inside. So he is constantly wanting to do that which is sinful. Notice, he wants to do and he is doing something which is sinful. That's the way you can see who a slave is. Another example that I can give is uh, something that happened quite a while ago, but it made me see a good illustration of enslavement. And it was while I was at university, and in between lectures, uh, some friends of mine went outside to smoke their cigarettes. Then the lecturer appeared out of his office and went right past them to come into the, the lecture room. I've never forgotten the situation. If they were not slaves, I know what they would have done. Simply throw the cigarette on the ground, squash it, turn around and go into the office, I mean into the lecture. But no. They went on like this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they were always wanting to quickly finish the cigarette before this guy starts lecturing. And I thought to myself, there it is. Perfect illustration of enslavement. Nobody was forcing them from the outside. No. The first was from the inside. And consequently, at that point it became obvious that they were enslaved. They couldn't quickly go. They wanted to satisfy 
that which was on the inside. Enslaved. 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 That's the way spiritual enslavement is. God says, Thou shalt not. Something in you says, No, thou shalt. And you still go ahead. Despite the fact that you know what God says, you defy His law. You are not being forced from the outside. You want to do it. You refuse to live your life in conformity to the standards of God's law. In fact, the moment you know that this is what God says, something in you says, I don't care what He says, I'm going for it. Because I want to. It is the exact opposite of righteousness. Righteousness says, wow. This is what God said. And I'm going to give myself to it. I'm going to fight in order to ensure that I live this way. It becomes a deliberate effort on your part to do that which God wants you to do. Now, this is helpful. Because, you see, the thing that sin does to us is it blinds us always to this, that the sinner is that other person who indulges in those specific sins that you don't indulge in. That's the sinner. Yours is just a weakness. That's all it is. That's a weakness. Or something you indulge in from time to time. And because it's different... That's the sinner, not me. But what John is doing here is giving us a category that enables us to see what sin is. And it is this. Is this what God wants you to do? Is this what God wants you to say? Is this the life that God wants of you? And are you deliberately going that way because that's what God's law says. Or is your life about yourself? Your own selfie dangers? Doesn't matter whether God says, this is about me, I've got one life to live, and I must get it. He's saying, if that's true about you, then you are living in sin. And as you'll be saying later on, you're a child of the devil. Yes. You are not a child of God. Now, you can argue with me. But you see, on the judgment day, I won't be standing next to you. We won't be involved in an argument. It's you now wanting to argue with God, and God will be saying to you, but did you not know that when these processes were happening inside you, and consequently, you were living a life that is as though I haven't said this is the way you ought to live. Didn't you know that your life was in sin? And that consequently you must pay for it. So we can already begin to see where John is going. You can see that we've entered a very searching passage of scripture. From verse 4 down to verse 10. And friends, 
If you love yourself, don't play hide and seek with the word of God. Don't. For dear life's sake, face it. Because as I said at the beginning, it's like a knife that is cutting so straight that you can say as you judge your own self on the inside whether you are on the wrong side or the right side. No need for you to be saying, you know, what do you mean, John? What do you mean? There are no three meanings here. You know what it means to obey the law. You know what it means to simply say, this is me, this is what I want, and I don't care what anybody says, I'm going to get it. And the reason why I think this is so important is because I'm so concerned there are too many individuals who will go to church on Sunday, but when you look at their life in the course of the week, it is all about self-indulgence. It's as though I have done God a favor on a Sunday. He ought to be grateful that I occupied the the auditorium in the church building. Now, can you please leave me alone? I also want to enjoy myself. Friends, that's not Christianity. It's not. And as I often say, it's a back door into hell. When it opens up, you'll be shocked to discover there's a local fire in front of you and not streets of gold. When God saves you, He changes you from the inside out. It's a real change. And you can't miss it because the engine inside you changes. It's no longer all about what I want and that's what I'm going to get. It's about what God wants and I want to live for Him. I love Him. I want to glorify Him through my life, in my words, in my thoughts, in my actions. It's God I want to be glorified, not myself. So here's my question. What are you living for? When we've knocked off here, we've shaken hands, and you've gone off, until we meet again next week, what drives you? The point is obvious. If it's you, and just what you want, you are not a child of God. Throw away whatever your religious credentials might be. Whatever it is you are depending on, throw it away. Why continue to cheat yourself? Why? And there's no point in saying, you know, but but I can't help it. Of course, if you're a slave of sin, you can't help it. But that's why Jesus came. John will be arguing later on here. That's why he came. He came to to destroy the works of the devil. In other words, he's not asking you to change yourself. He's saying to you, come to me just as you are. 
And let me liberate you. Let me change you. Let me turn you from a lover of self, a, a, a lover of sin, into a lover of God, a lover of holiness. I will do it. That's why I died upon that cross. It is so that my blood, the blood that was shed there, can cleanse sinners, make them new, turn them from people who practice sin to those who practice righteousness. And He can do it to you today. Saying I can't help it is not an excuse on the judgment day when Jesus has laid out His arms saying, come to me and let me change you from the inside out. As the hymn will be singing says, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus can wash away your sin, can change you, can transform you today, right now. You can go out there and live this coming week on a completely different premise than you did before. You can look your darling sin in the face and say to it, no, a thousand times no. And even when that temptation says to you, but it is in secret, you say, no, I want to live for my God. And I don't care whether it's in secret or not. Because He has saved me. He has changed me. He has transformed me. That's Christianity. That's the salvation that takes people to heaven. If you don't have it, plead with Jesus. That He might save you and really save you. Amen.